0: We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. Uh, if you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2. Of course, today is Easter. We're talking about the resurrection. Um, and so I want to start by just sharing with you um, a story of something that happened uh, with me and one of, my, one of my boys, my oldest son. It was, it was about four years ago. Um, so I, I, uh, I grew up uh, snow skiing and, uh, and, and just hanging out outside and doing things outside. And so I love that my boys... Love to do those things because it gives me an excuse uh, to do those things more often. And um, about five years ago or so, we introduced our boys to snow skiing. And, uh, and I'd been skiing about 20 years at this point. And, uh, and so um, the second year we were snow skiing, my oldest was getting pretty brave. And he had told me before we left that he thought this was going to be the year he was going to do a black diamond. And so I said, okay, well, we'll see, son. We'll play that by ear. We'll see how it goes. Well, sure enough, first day he picks up where he left off and he's just skiing up a storm and so it's like day two and he and I are coming down together and he stops at the top of this black diamond full of moguls and just all kinds of ugly snow and he's like dad I think I'm ready to do it I said okay well all right so if you're ready go ahead I'll follow behind you right And, and I'll make sure you make it down okay so he's like okay takes a deep breath he's off down through the moguls he's making his way down but about halfway he catches an edge and he begins to tumble. Now, he had never wiped out like this in the snow before. And he just begins to somersault and tumble. And next thing you know, it's a yard sale. There are skis and gloves and just <laughs> toboggans and things going everywhere. And I'm watching my, my little boy. He was about, I don't know, eight or nine or eight, at the t- seven or eight at a time. Anyway, he's just tumbling like a human snowball. And then he finally stops about halfway down. So I ski in behind him and I come up beside him and I click off my skis and I'm, I'm there for him, right? I'm ready to, to help him and to make sure he's okay. And, and he's complaining, he's moaning, he's aching, he's hurting, his knee is hurt. And, and I make a quick assessment and realize my son is really, really injured. Now, up to this point in my snow skiing career, um, I was familiar with ski patrol. I had seen them before in their red, skiing up and down and coming around. I'd even seen them hauling people Down, But for me, for the most part, ski patrol didn't have anything to do with me because I had never had to call upon them. But in this moment, I realized I don't have what it takes to get my son off this mountain and he needs medical attention. And so I felt incredibly desperate and helpless in that moment. And so what did I do? I called for ski patrol. Ski patrol shows up, this cute young girl, and all of a sudden my son's concern is not his knee anymore right? I'm like, oh, you're you're okay. And so she puts him on the, the stretcher, mobilizes his knee, skis him down to the bottom of the mountain. And that was my first experience where I realized the significance of why ski patrol is there. For 20 years, I had been skiing thinking that they were there for somebody else. But in that moment, I realized they were there for me and they were there for my son to rescue us in our time of need. I share that with you because I think this is how most of us approach the resurrection of Jesus. We know it's there, We know it's important, we've seen other people rely on it, we've seen it's impacted other people's lives, but until we reach that desperate place of need, we fail to see the relevance between Jesus resurrecting from the grave and our lives. How does the resurrection impact my life, my marriage, my role as a friend, my role as a dad, my role as an employee? How does the resurrection of Jesus meet me in my desperate moments when I can't rescue myself. Ephesians chapter 2, the apostle Paul begins in verses 1 through 3, describing the desperation of our situation. Verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You see, there's something deep inside of every one of us that knows that something isn't quite right here. We look at the world around us, and we know that despite the fact that we're all pretending to have it together, and we're trying to post these social media images that look like we have it together, the reality is we know we don't. We fail every day. We fail as parents. We fail in our marriages. We fail in our friendships. We fail in our relationship with God. And so while we want the world to think that we have it together, the reality is something isn't quite right here. And the Apostle Paul is putting his finger on it when he says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. See, the reality is when we read words like dead and wrath and disobedience, it catches us off guard, right? What do these words have to do with me? Because for the most part, I'm pretty good and I'm pretty obedient and I feel like I'm alive, but what do these words have to do with me? A few years ago, I was um, in the... uh, Filipino village uh, where we had been working. Um, it was my first trip to the Philippines. And, and one of the things I remember about walking into the village for the first time, besides being thankful that I was finally off that motorcycle, um, was as I walked through the village, outside of every little hut, there were two things. There was a tarp on the ground where they would dry their rice, and there was a stump and a log. And at each of these homes in the morning, you could find a, a kiddo, a little child, taking rice that had been dried on the tarp and putting it in the hole in the stump and crushing it for the daily provisions for the family for the day. And that's what they ate. Rice and water. Rice and water. Now one of the things I remember though about my first visit into this village was that One of these houses was different. On the side of the mountain, as I had made it about halfway through the village on the right, I noticed an old man sitting in the shade and he was out watching his garden. And on the side of the mountain, in this rich mountain soil, he was growing this beautiful garden with peppers and tomatoes and okra and corn and all these beautiful vegetables and it stood out from all the rest of the houses. And so I stopped to talk to this older gentleman and I asked him, about his garden and what he was doing there. He said, actually, I moved to this village three years ago to teach the village about how to grow a garden. And I said, well, that's interesting. He said, yeah, I'm doing it because they don't realize that they are malnutrition, just living off of rice and water. So I'm here to teach them how to grow a garden so that they can be healthier people. And I said, how long have you been here? He said, three years. And I looked around, I said, well, then, why aren't there any other gardens? And he said, that's my biggest dilemma convincing them that they need it because the reality is this village for generation after generation had had lived off of rice and water they were born into it from the moment they were old enough to stand and hold a stick in their hand they were part of the process of of eating rice and water and because they were born into it they didn't realize that they were malnutritioned and needed something else Part of what the Apostle Paul is talking about in our spiritual sense is that you and I are born into this broken and fallen world. And there's a certain complacency that sets in, that even though we know something isn't right, part of us surrenders to this idea that, well, at least it's better than nothing. It's never really gonna get completely fixed. It's never gonna get better than this, right? And so we grow complacent to the idea that spiritually, we're not only malnutrition, but what Paul says is we're spiritually dead. Physically alive, but on the inside, spiritually dead, and we're bored into this. But not only that, he says this, you and I have both participated in the brokenness and the fallenness of our world. He says this, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. So it's not enough to just blame it on the world, right? It's not enough to say, well, the the world is causing this. The, The world is broken. The world is fallen." And I'm just here. Paul would say, no, you're also broken because you participate in it. By following the course of this world, following the desires of your own body and mind, you have participated in the brokenness you see around you. And much like the Filipino kids, we don't know any different. We think this is normal. We think things are supposed to be this way. But the world has fallen and the world is broken and desperately needs to be rescued. You see the evidence all around. Busyness. How many of you are too busy? Oh, no honest people here today. It's Easter. Come on. (laughs) Yes. Every person was like, oh yeah, me, but I'm too busy to raise my hand because I'm thinking about what I have to do next. And, And we... And we agree on it, but yet what are we gonna do tomorrow? We're gonna wake up tomorrow and be too busy. What's the root of all this busyness? Trying to keep up, feeling guilty if we don't, thinking we're gonna be less than if we don't provide for our kids the same things we see everybody on social media providing for their kids, right? Super busy doing all these things, trying to find worth, trying to find value, trying to find security, trying to find peace, trying to find joy, trying to find meaning. So we're busy Not only are we busy, um, I think that you see this trend and have been seeing it now for quite some time towards alternate realities, checking out. Used to, the only way we could do this was to go on vacation. Uh, But now we've got these momentary uh, vacation moments throughout our day where we can slip into an alternate reality through social media and all of a sudden we're checked out from whatever's going on in our life and we're we're somewhere else. Right? Or maybe it's video games or it's a hobby and And we go on vacation, or we like to go on vacation, why? Because we want to escape the brokenness, the fallenness around us, and just for a moment, be at rest. Just for a moment, behold something that is beautiful and not broken. And so we go on vacation to rest, and really what it is we're longing for is simply to return to Eden. A place of peace, a place of rest, a place where things are whole and made right. You know, God started the nation of Israel through a man named Abraham, and he began with a journey, and he traveled through the promised land. But you know what Abraham, Hebrews 11 says about Abraham, is that even though he saw the promised land with his own eyes, he actually longed for something better. He longed for a city to be built whose designer and builder was God. When the nation of Israel finally crossed over the Jordan into the promised land and looked around, they were like, meh. Hebrews 11 says that while it was good, it still wasn't great, and they longed for a better country. Romans 8 says that creation is groaning and longing for the return of Christ inside of each and every one of us. We know that something is not right here. And despite our best efforts to pretend like everything's okay, and I have it together, we know it's not. War, violence, infanticide. We live in a world where the leading, one of the leading industries is is sex trade, right? Something isn't right here, right? And it's not enough just to put our heads in the sand, to pretend like everything's okay. The apostle Paul says, let me tell you what's wrong. We are dead in our trespasses, and far too many of us are going up and down the slopes of life and not realizing that we desperately need a rescue. Chapter two, verse four of Ephesians. I often joke, this is my favorite butt in the Bible. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. See, we're not just wiped out on the ski slopes, needing somebody to stop by and give us a hand. Paul says, no, we are dead men walking. That's how desperate we are. We don't need somebody to make our day better. We need somebody to make us alive. Verse four says, God came to us at just the right moment and made us alive together with Christ. I love the way God's mercy is described in both Ephesians chapter one and Ephesians chapter two. We read here that God is rich in mercy and he loves us with a great love. If you back up a chapter into verse one, seven and eight, listen to this description of God's grace and mercy towards us. In him, that's Christ, We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to what? The riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. I love this Greek word for lavish. It's the idea of a sloppy painter. Just just coating us and covering us and drenching us in what? His grace, his mercy, and his love. God is not a God who says to you, if you'll meet me halfway, I'll fix the rest. He says, you can't meet me halfway because you're dead. Dead men don't meet God halfway. Dead men don't fix themselves. Dead men don't clean up their lives. Dead men don't pull it together. Dead men need a gracious God to come and to make them alive. Now, question still remains, what does the resurrection have to do with me? Like me specifically. How is Jesus coming back to life in the tomb relevant to my life? Like I understand how it fits into God's big story. Like he promised it was going to happen, so it needed to happen. But what does it mean for me? Well, Paul hints to it there in Ephesians 2 when he says that God made us alive together with Christ and by grace we have been saved and we've been raised up with him. So there's a connection between whatever God is doing in me and whatever he did in Jesus. But again, if we back up a chapter, God more specifically says in Ephesians one, listen to this, 19 and 20, he asks the question, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? So Paul is asking a question, How, what does God's power look like for me? How powerful is God in my life? And he answers the question by saying this, according to the work of his great might, verse 20, that he worked in Christ. So here's the, here's the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. It's the same power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. This is what God is saying. The same exact power that raised Jesus from the dead is working in us. That's the power of redemption. Like that's how it happens. Like when you look at the the testimonies on the board, redeemed by love, that is powered by the resurrection of Jesus. Free to rightly and truly love, the resurrection is doing that work. Forgiveness, freedom and healing, freedom without shame, free to live in Christ, beginning a new life, learning to find my identity in Christ, God defining my worth unified hope, abounding grace, walking in freedom, strengthened in Christ. That's the power of the resurrection working. Listen, what we don't realize is that the power that works against us is the power of sin and death. The power of sin and death. And that's why I would say the single greatest moment in human history was the moment that the the heart of Jesus broke the silence of the tomb and began to beat again and his lungs filled with air. In that moment, listen church, in that moment, life rang out and it echoed through the universe. That's the only point in human history that life has ever overcome death because any other experience, death overcomes life, right? All the way back to the fall, whether you're a human being or you're broccoli, life ends in what? Death. It wasn't until the Savior's heart began to beat in the quietness of that tomb, his lungs filled with air. That was the moment when death was defeated and life overcame death. Now I know that sin and death has had a significant impact on your life because you're living in the same broken and fallen world that I'm living in. It's why marriage is so stinking hard. It's why we're always suspicious of one another and defending ourselves against one another. It's why parenting is a fearful thing. Am I, am I doing it right? Am I too hard on them? Am I too soft? And is something bad going to happen if I loosen my grip and let them go? And why? Why do we feel these things? Because we live in this broken, fallen world, a world that is steeped in sin and death. And the only hope for your everyday life is the resurrection of Jesus. Hear me, church. Far too many of us have been going up and down the slopes thinking the resurrection applied to other people. And today what God is saying to you is, no, the resurrection is for you. Physically, you're alive, but on the inside, you're a dead man walking. And dead men don't fix themselves. Look at what Paul says next. Verse eight, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so no one may boast. What God is saying is, listen, I came to you to make you alive because you can't make yourself alive. Broken, dead people don't fix themselves because they can't. You are saved, you are rescued. By grace, through what? Faith, and this is not your own doing, right? so that nobody, what, boasts. One of my favorite verses in this passage is actually verse seven, if you back up a little bit, because here's what Paul says. He says, "So we've been saved by grace through faith so that in the coming ages, so he's thinking about eternity, he's thinking about being in heaven. So that, think of it that way, so that when I'm in heaven, in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable Riches of his grace, remember the the lavishing, the sloppy painter? So I'm thinking about heaven, and in in heaven, I picture God lavishing me with his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying as he looks forward into eternity is there will never be a day where we get over this reality that God came to me and made a dead man come alive. That when we've been there 10,000 days, right? We'll have no less cause to sing his praise, why? Because you'll be there, right? I'll be there. You look at me, what I picture Paul saying is that our hearts will be full of, of worship over God's amazing grace because we're still there. It wasn't just enough grace to get us in, it's enough grace to keep us there. And then we'll wake up the next day and you'll look and say, hey, you're still here. And I'll say, I know, you are too. Isn't God rich in grace? So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That will be our boast. Nobody will stand in heaven and say, look what I did for myself. This is what being a good dad gets you. This is what being a good friend gets you or a good church member. This is what being generous gets you and caring for the poor and the kind. Nobody will stand in heaven and brag on themselves and say, look what I did for myself. Every one of us will proclaim the goodness of Christ came to us and made us alive when we were dead in our trespasses. That's how we get in. Now I love this, where this section of the scripture ends. In verse 10, he says, for we are his worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I believe this is a beautiful description of God's redemptive work in our lives. It's the imagery of, of a, an iron worker in the, in the workshop with an anvil and a fire and a piece of steel that's being heated up and then placed on the, ammer, on the anvil and being pounded into shape and then heated back up and then being placed, placed, uh, placed on the anvil and being beaten once again and shaped into something better. You and I are the piece of metal, into the fire, out of the fire, onto the anvil, off the anvil, back and forth. We are his worksmanship. This is a description of God's redemptive work working on us. Am I an awesome husband? Nope. But God's resurrection power inside of me is redeeming me and making me a better husband day by day. Many of those moments are painful. Am I I, I, I an awesome friend? Nope, not yet. But the power of the resurrection is alive in me. and, And because of that, right, every time the hammer hits the piece of steel, that's the power of the resurrection, like that changes things, you with me? Eternally changes who we are in Christ. And Paul is pleading with the church, listen, don't forget you were a dead man walking, God made you alive and the same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead is alive in you and it's working on you, it's pounding things out day by day and sometimes it's painful right? Sometimes, many times, God's work is painful. Case in point, the cross itself, right? But this is the beautiful power of the resurrection in us. I want to end with a simple invitation into this rescue that God is offering you today. Um, One of my favorite authors and theologians is a a guy by the name of C.F.W. Walther. He has a book out, which is a collection of his lectures where he's lecturing on the difference between being saved by good works, or the law, versus being saved by the grace, or the gospel, and so grace, and so he's kind of comparing works and grace, or the law and the gospel, and here's what uh, he says about the law, or good works. Remember, Paul said, hey, you can't be saved by good works, so here's what he says. The law says to us, I will quench the thirst of your soul and appease your hunger but it's not able to accomplish this because it always adds this one phrase. All this you shall have if you obey my commands. And so that's what good works does for us. You wanna be made whole? You want your thirst to be quenched? You want your dead soul to become alive? Then good, all you have to do is obey God's law. That's it. So it offers that promise to us, right? And you can have all that is yours, peace and security and meaning and purpose, all this is yours, all you have to do is perfectly obey. And then he contrasts that with the grace of the gospel when he says this, the gospel proclaims, take what I give and you will have it. See, that is the invitation of God to you. That's what it means for God to make a dead man come alive. He comes to us to rescue us and we're not just injured on the side of the ski slopes, we are dead in our trespasses, we are desperate whether we walked into today feeling it or not, God says to you, my only hope is the power and the resurrection working in your life. Come to me and believe in Jesus, and then here's the the next line, and you'll have it. Come and take what I offer, and you will have it. Listen, I, I don't know everybody who's here today, and I'm not sure why you came to church today. Maybe you came in today looking for some hope. Maybe you came in today realizing that the world around you was not doing it. And every time you reach out for something else to make you happy or to to fix you or to, to be whole, you realize it only lets you down, leaves you more broken and more desperate. God would say to you, come to me today and take what I have to offer and you'll have it. The power of the resurrection. By trusting and believing that Jesus is the son of God, that he died on the cross for your sins and he resurrected from the grave, defeating sin and death for you. That's your invitation into relationship with God. That's what begins this beautiful redemptive work in you. That's what begins eternity. That's where abundant life comes from, is by trusting in Jesus and him alone. So I want to extend that offer to you today. I'm going to pray for you. Um, As our worship team comes forward, I'll also invite our prayer partners to um, come down to the front. Um, uh, There'll be prayer partners at the back as well. If that's you today and you realize maybe, you know what, I am desperate. I am broken. I do need somebody else to fix me and to rescue me. I can't fix myself. Would you take that step of faith today? I encourage you while we're singing, grab one of our prayer partners. Say, hey, will you pray for me? Will you tell me more about becoming a Christian? Will you tell me how to do this, how to, how to trust in Jesus? They'd be honored to talk with you and to pray with you in making that decision. Well, let's pray together. Um, Father, we thank you this morning for the glorious power of the resurrection. And and God, while many of us walk into this room believing the resurrection and, and God knowing that the resurrection is important, God, maybe for some of us for the first time, we recognize and we realize that we need the power of the resurrection in every moment of every day of our lives. God, that's what's transforming us to be more like Christ in our marriages, in our homes, in our workplace, in our community. Father, we desperately need the power of the resurrection alive in us. So, Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would move through this place. And God, you would stir our hearts. For any person here who doesn't know you, I pray, God, today they would, they would, God, heed this calling, that they would receive this invitation to take what you have to offer and to have it no strings attached, lavished by grace and goodness. So Father, we're asking for you to do a miraculous work in our midst today. God, I know there is brokenness in this room. God, the impacts of sin and death. God touched each of our lives. Some of us, it's our marriages, some of us, our parenting, some of us it's in our identity. But God, we desperately need the power of the resurrection today. So we ask that you would move in this place, move in our hearts. Meet us where we are. Heal us in our brokenness. Rescue us, oh God, we pray in Jesus' name.